Job, back to chapter 1. I already feel like my timeline is off. But we will get through this book. All right. Job, is everyone there? I'm not going to reread the entire section that we read last week. <coughs> I want to pick up at verse 6 in chapter 1. What I'm going to do is uh, finish up just e- explaining this, uh, this section about what's going on between God and Satan and Job. Uh, and then next week I'll pick back up and look at briefly I'm, all, I'm gonna do this all in one sunday chapters one through seven okay but i'm only gonna hit one two three four and seven right just snippets in each one as i told you we're not gonna focus on uh every single verse and every single chapter um because we will be here for a very long time right so um this is what i want us to look at verse six Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. Now, I want to pick back up from where we left off um, last week because I will let you know that um, here, uh, sometimes we question, why did God set up Job? Um, God asked Satan, from where are you coming? And Satan says that he has been traveling back and forth around the world. And then out of nowhere, God says, have you considered my servant Job? And um, all of us are baffled by this. And all of us are afraid that God would do the exact same thing to us. <laughs> right? Um, however, what I think is going on here, as I said last week, is Satan and God are rehearsing this um, age-old conversation. God created Adam and Eve in his own image in the garden, and Satan took it upon himself to attack Adam and Eve so that they fell. (coughs) And God promised in Genesis chapter 3 that, in verse 15, that there will be strife or enmity between the seed of the serpent and between the seed of the woman until a day came when a seed of the woman crushes the head of the serpent and so there's going to be this battle back and forth enmity and strife between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman 
And so we see in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they are attacked and they fall. Genesis chapter 4, Cain and Abel. We could continue on down the line. We see examples of Lamech, and he kills uh, uh, someone for, um, for um, 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 he marries two women, and he brags to his wives that he has murdered someone. And if God has protected Cain, he will definitely protect me. Right. So we see this back and forth, back and forth. And it seems like chapter after chapter after chapter, Satan is testing people and they continue to fall. And yet, in every generation, God has reserved some people who will not turn their back on him. So again, you see Abel, who is the godly seed. After Abel is killed, you see God gives Eve Seth. Then God gives Enoch, and then men be call, begin to call on the name of the Lord. Then you have Noah and Abraham and all of his descendants. So th- there's this, this back and forth over and over and over again. So I think that when God says to Satan, where are you coming from? And he says, going back and forth around the world, he's kind of throwing it in God's face that he has been so successful at making mankind turn their back on God. And so God, being the sovereign ruler, knowing all things that's going to take place, he says, have you considered my servant Job? He's letting Satan know that although you have been successful in making many people turn their back on me, there are some people that will not turn their back, and one of them is Job. Now, get this, that when God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, Satan already knows all there is to know about Job. He said, well, of course Job is serving you. You've protected him. You have a hedge around him and his family and all that he has. Everything that he touches is successful, and his wealth continues to grow. So, of course, Job continues to serve you. So that lets me know that um, Satan had already considered his servant Job. (laughs) And, and so God was kind of throwing it back in his face that I got one that you've not been able to succeed with. Before we move on, remember I, I ended last week with helping us to see as we turn to the New Testament that we oftentimes think that uh, Satan and demons and angels have some special insight into, into God Um, But they are finite creatures just like we are. They learn, they grow in their understanding of God just like we do. So here, God is teaching Satan a lesson. He's helping Satan to get to know him a little bit better because Satan is confused about some things concerning God. So we looked in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. We also looked in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Not going to go into all of that again. However, I want us to remember from Ephesians chapter 3 that God is doing all of these things for two reasons. Okay, well, I cheated and added in Ephesians chapter 1. Okay, (laughs) God is doing all of these things for two reasons. Number one, he is 
working out his plan in the world so that on judgment day, all of those people who have put their trust in Christ, those who are redeemed, Ephesians chapter 1 says three times that we will praise God for his glorious grace. And number two, the second reason that he's doing the things that he's doing, the way he is doing what he is doing, is so that on judgment day, all of the angels, demons, Satan, all of the angelic beings, they will have to stand back and Ephesians chapter 3, praise God for his manifold wisdom. That's it. They they don't understand, we saw this in in, uh, 1 Peter, angels don't understand what God is doing. Why does God commit himself to human beings that continually fail and turn their backs on him? But on that day, they will all recognize, wow, that was a good plan. Now, to pick up from where we ended last week, Satan asked God a question in verses in verse nine. And I believe that this question is what is playing out in every single chapter of the book of Job. Satan asks God, does Job fear God for nothing? What is Job's motivation? Why does he serve God? Does he serve God only for the benefits and blessings that come along with serving God? Or does Job serve God simply out of a deep commitment and love of devotion for God alone? Um, That question needs to be asked of each and every single one of us. But Satan is showing that he is deficient in his understanding of who God is because Satan here is questioning God's justice. That's exactly what he's doing in verses 9 through 11. He is questioning God's policy, questioning God, is it right for you to bless those people that you love? Now, He's attacking God's policy, but attacking God's policy is the same thing as attacking God's character, his nature. It is in God's nature to bless those people who are righteous, and it is in God's nature to discipline or punish those who sin. And Satan believes that the only reason a person would ever love God is because of the benefits that we get. That's the only reason that if God did not continue to bless you, wake you up, um, continue to give you blessings, let you have a good job, live in a nice neighborhood, that if God took all of those things away from you, there is no reason for any of us to ever love or serve God. Now, Joe, Satan is questioning the rightness of God's policy because he does not understand the perfection of God's nature or the depth of God's wisdom, as we talked about in Ephesians chapter 3 last week. Now, three things that Satan believes, and then I'm going to move on from this. Number one, Satan believes that there is a flaw in God's justice. He believes 
that God is involved in a pay-for-play scheme, (laughs) that God is bribing mankind, those people who don't turn their back on God, he believes that God is bribing them to keep them loyal. Number two, he believes that he knows better about what Job will, will do than God does. Right? So he is attacking God's wisdom. And number three, he believes that there is no such thing as uh, uh, John Walton calls disinterested righteousness. That is, that no one serves God for nothing. That if you don't get something out of the deal, there's no reason to serve or love God. So he believes God needs to bribe people for their loyalty. What we will see throughout the rest of this book is that this is not only Satan's mindset. This is Job's understanding. This is Job's three friends' understanding. And this is also Elihu's understanding. They all believe this retribution principle. Now, we talked about this briefly uh, in our introduction, what this retribution principle (coughs) is. But this retribution principle is just a reflection of God's justice, and it is an attempt to understand how um, human suffering, human flourishing, and our relationship to God are all interrelated. Why do some people suffer? Why are some people blessed and prosperous? And what does that mean for us having a close relationship to God? That's what we're trying to understand when people talk about this retribution principle. And if we were to simply state uh, this retribution principle, it would be stated this way, that the righteous will prosper and the wicked will suffer. That's it. If you're righteous, you're going to be blessed and prosper. If you are a sinner or wicked, you will suffer. Now, strictly speaking, that is biblically true, right? We know that it is in God's nature to bless those people who do good, who obey him. And we also know that it is within God's nature to punish and discipline those people who suffer. The Bible even says that God will pay them to their face. Not going to do it behind your back. I'm going to get right up in your face. I'm going to repay you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so this principle is rooted in God's justice, is rooted in God's nature because God is holy, right? He cannot stand sin, and God is just, right? He will always do what is right. And in God, it, it, it pleases God. Uh, to bless those people, to benefit, to prosper those people who are righteous, and it pleases God to punish those people who sin. I want us to really quickly turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. We looked at this in Bible study. Um, I, I could produce tons of passages in every single book of the Bible probably, um, but look at Deuteronomy 28 so that we can see uh, this principle here. All of us are familiar with this Um, with this um, chapter, at least the first uh, (laughs) 14 verses of it. Um, You all who are probably, let's see, if you're in your 30s, I don't know if you're in your 
if you're in your teens or 20s, you might not <laughs> know this song, but, but there's this guy named Fred Hammond. Okay, so, so see, he, it, he made a song about this, and we love it. He just stopped at verse 14, <laughs> and that's the problem. Okay. Listen what, to what uh, Moses says here. I'm not going to read all 68 verses here. But just to give you a sample, and we all are familiar t- with this. Verse 1, now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all of his commandments which he commanded you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Here we go. All of the ones we know. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the country, blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the flocks of, um, offspring of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl, blessed shall you be when you come in, blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies to rise who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you. Um, in your storehouses and in all to which you set your hand, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. And he continues to go on down to verse uh, 14, right? It's all great. If you obey what I tell you, you're going to be abundantly blessed. Now, the problem is that uh, no one reads verses 15 to 68. <laughs> and uh, verses 15 to 68 start like this, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, cursed in the country. Cursed will be a basket, your kneading bowl. Cursed will be the fruit of your body, the produce of your land, and the increase of your cattle, the offspring of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in. Cursed you will be when you go out. The Lord will send on you cursing, confusing, confusion, and rebuke in all that you set your hands to do until you are destroyed and until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. And then he goes on for another 50 verses about all of the calamity that he will bring on you. Okay. Um, so it pleases God to bless every single person that is righteous who does good and obeys him. But it also bl- brings him pleasure punish every single person who sins against him this is what the bible teaches however the problem comes in how we apply this principle and i believe that this principle is misunderstood and misapplied in three ways in the book of job and also three ways today Right. So, again, I'm laying the foundation for what we will see for the rest of this, uh, the rest of this series. Number one, the first way that we misunderstand and misapply um, this retribution principle of God's justice. Number one. We often think 
that the retribution principle must be implemented immediately and in this life. We think that as soon as we do something good, as soon as we obey God, as soon as we do something righteous, God must bless me now. And if not now, it has to come before I die. And we also think that if I sin, if I do something wrong, right, if I'm mean to my wife or children, right, if, if I do something wrong, God must punish me immediately. And so you do not know how many people that I talk to that think, oh, I, I, I did X, Y, Z, right, and God didn't get, do anything for me. Is he obligated to? You not know how many people that I talk to that, <laughs> right, they're like, oh, man, you know, I, got, I just got sick. Well, I got laid off. My car broke down because I didn't do something right. God is punishing me. I'm like, maybe it's just a coincidence. No, no, I did this last week, and this week my car broke down. Maybe your car is like 15 years old. It was going to break down eventually anyway. Well, what does that got? But we just know that I did something wrong yesterday, and so we like, it's, it's coming. It's coming. I know it's coming, right? We walk around on pins and needles knowing God is just ready to slap us down because we think that this retribution has to come immediately. God has to bless me now or he has to punish me now. Right. We see this principle playing out in the book of Job. Because the book of Job talks a lot about death. But Job and his friends don't have the same understanding of death, heaven, and hell that we have, right? Because, again, with progressive revelation, we have a better understanding having the full Bible um, than what they had then. And so they didn't understand uh, what we understand about death and going to heaven and being rewarded or, or, or dying and going to hell and being rewarded, right? They believed that God had to punish or bless them immediately or before they died. However, the testimony of Scripture and all of our personal experience tells us that too often, the people who are righteous and doing good are the ones that are struggling and suffering, right? And the, oftentimes, the people who are wicked and doing crooked, underhanded things are the ones who are prospering. But get this. God is not constrained by time. <laughs> if he does not get you in this life, <laughs> Being a God who is eternal and not limited by time, he has all of eternity to repay you. If he does not bless you in this life, he's not constrained by time. He's not constrained by your death. That he will bless you even if it takes him all of eternity to work that out for you. We see this in Psalm 37, right? It says, don't, don't fret because of evildoers, because they prosper in the way. <laughs> they will soon 
be cut down like the grass. In Hebrews chapter 11, remember verse 13 says that many people died in faith, not receiving the promise, but they looked for a better city. They, They weren't concerned about not receiving the promise, the blessings here, because they knew there was a better city that where the builder and the maker is God. Number two, the second thing that I think uh, we misunderstand or misapply when it comes to this uh, retribution principle, we'll see this in the book of Job, uh, is uh, because the retribution principle is biblically sound and theologically correct, we often assume that we can discern if and when the principle is at work based on the circumstances of someone's life. Now, what we think is because it pleases God to bless those who are righteous and it pleases God to punish those who sin, we think that we can flip it and look at someone's life and tell which one is true of them. So if they're prosperous and it looks like they're being blessed and all of these great things are happening to them, they must be doing good. They must be righteous. They must be in the will of God. And if someone is suffering, someone is struggling, things don't seem to be going their way, they must be a sinner. They must be <laughs> not be in the will of God. Right? Isn't this what Job's friends did? Job used to be prosperous, but then all of this suffering came his way. And so his friends spend chapters four all the way through with 38, trying to convince Job, Job, you must have done something wrong. If you were doing the right thing, God would continue to bless you, but you're suffering, so you did something wrong. They even crossed the boundary. They said, that's why your children died. I'm like, man, they went way too far with that one. Because if your children were doing the right thing, God wouldn't have killed them. I'm like, man, Job didn't go to jail. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, you don't talk about my children, right? Especially my dead children, right? So we believe that if we are experiencing favorable outcomes, we're in the will of God. And if we are experiencing unfavorable outcomes, we must not be in the will of God. This mindset is pervasive not only in the book of Job, but this is often our mindsets as well. How many times have uh, you been praying, you wanted to do something, you want to start a business, you want to start a church, you want to do, do something, and, and you feel God gives you the green light, right? He, he, he tells you, this is what I want you to do. This is my will uh, for your life. And, 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 and then by faith, you step out to try to do what you feel God is telling you, and then all hell breaks loose. Right. You get a bunch of resistance. Nothing seems to go right. Your kids start acting up. Your, your coworkers start acting up. Your boss just keeps bothering you and attacking you. You just feel like something must be wrong. And, and then you begin to be plagued with doubt. Maybe, maybe I misunderstood God. Maybe God didn't tell me. Be, because if this was from God, everything would be going smoothly. Right? 
But because there's conflict and problems and resistance, I must not be in God's will. See, that is a problem of misunderstanding or misapplying this retribution principle. Because the truth is, whenever you plan to do something for God, the first thing that's going to happen is all hell is going to break loose. <laughs> I'm, I'm a witness. I'm going to tell you and let you know. If you want to start a church, you want to start a business, you want to do anything for God, you are going to be tested. You cannot discern whether or not you are in God's will or whether God is mad at you by the circumstances that you go through. Oftentimes, there's no way to understand the correlation between the two because there are many people who are not in God's will and yet they seem to prosper and have all the favorable experiences in the world. Maybe it's because of like Psalm 37, God has given them their benefits now because for all eternity, (laughs) they're going to suffer. And maybe God is asking you for a short while to struggle and trust him because for all eternity, in his presence, there's the fullness of joy And at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So in this life, you struggle, you suffer just a little bit, learning to trust and depend on God because you will experience all the joys of heaven for all of eternity. While God has given the unsaved, the wicked, their benefits now because for all eternity, they will suffer. The last thing... that I want us to see here is the last thing that we misunderstand and misapply when it comes to this uh, retribution principle is we often think that the retribution principle, um, I'm sorry, we often think of the retribution principle in a way that limits God's freedom. Okay, think about this. If God must bless you immediately or if God must curse you right away, God really isn't free. We're the ones who are in charge. God's only responsibility is to respond to us when we do the right thing or when we do the wrong thing. We are the ones that is that's in control, not God. God is not free because God must do something. And anytime you must do something, you are not free. Now, the only um, thing that's wrong with this is it's just not true. (laughs) This is exactly what Job's friends thought. We'll see this as we go through the book. Job's friends repeatedly told Job, Job, you did something wrong. All you have to do is admit you did something wrong, confess that you did something wrong, and God will bless you, okay? Because repenting is a good thing that pleases God. So just just repent, say you did something wrong, and God is going to bless you. The only problem is that it's just absolutely not true. God is free. God is free to do what he wants 
when he wants to do it. Now, someone will say, well, isn't God obligated to fulfill his promises? Right? Right? I mean, you are, every single one of y'all have had some book that says 101 promises from God. Okay? So they go through and take all of the Bible verses like 101 promises for women, 101 promises for, for mothers, 101 promises for your business. Okay? So God's made all of these promises, right? So God is obligated to fulfill his promises, right? It's not a trick question. Is God, ob- is God obligated to fulfill his promise? They're like, mm-mm, you ain't going to trick me to give the wrong answer. Look, is, is God obligated to fulfill his promises? Yes. Okay, so God is God is obligated to fulfill his promises. Now, is God free in how he fulfills those promises? Yeah, because guess what? God is free to fulfill those promises to Mr. Fred in this life while at the same time waiting to fulfill those promises to Tanya in heaven. Right? God, God is, God, or both. He, he can say, I ain't giving, fulfilling nothing and none of y'all until y'all get to heaven. Right? <laughs> right? Oh, the, the Bible talks so much about by his stripes we are healed. If I just have enough faith, God is going to heal me. God is not obligated to heal you in this life. He can apply it to one person. And not apply it to you. He could bring you home and give you the ultimate healing. We call that death. <laughs> right? When you will suffer no more. <laughs> okay. God is free. The only limitations that God has on himself is his nature. So, for example, because God is holy, he is not free to sin. <laughs> okay. But... Other than that, God is free to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it. He can bless you. He can bless your business. And at the same time, he can take everything away from you. As long as he fulfills his promise to you in heaven, which he will do. Now, we don't call this belief today the retribution principle. We call this the prosperity gospel. We, we tell people that if they tithe, if they observe certain religious principles, if they have enough faith, God must bless them. If, if, you, just, if you believe hard enough, God must. He got to do it. He has to fulfill his promise to you. Right? And so you have pe- people just giving up all kinds of sums of money. I'm just keep sowing the seed, sowing the seed until God blesses me. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm going to go keep on getting my Bentley while y'all keep sowing y'all seeds. Because God, God has to do it. He keeps blessing the man of God, so he got to bless me. Now, maybe you are blessing the man of God, and, and, and the reason that he got a Bentley is because you giving up your Bentley money. <laughs> Keep thinking, yeah, God blessing him. No, you blessing him. If I just have enough faith, 
God is going to heal me. If I have enough faith, God is going to fix my marriage, my job. He's going to give me whatever. I'm going to be rich. We call that the prosperity gospel. We think that by tithing or praying or being on the ministry or coming to church or reading the Bible, that we are somehow obligating God to do something for us. But God is free. You could give your whole paycheck, not just 10 percent, and God, thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm not obligated to respond just because you've given me money. You, you, you could pray so much until you get the reputation of James, Jesus' brother, that it says that he spent so much time on his knees praying that his knees were as tough as camel's knees. And God says, thank you for talking to me for so long. The answer is still no. God is free. He cannot be obligated or manipulated by our actions to make him do anything. The only reason God does anything for us is because of his grace. And that's why the Bible says that the just shall live by faith. Now, this goes to the heart of Satan's question in chapter 1, verse 9 of Job. He asks God, does Job serve you for nothing? Now, notice Job's friends keep saying, Job, if you just repent, if you just do something good, God is going to bless you. If Job just confessed, you know what, I must have did something wrong. God, you know, forgive me. I repent, you know, if he did that just to get God's benefits, he would have proven Satan to be correct. That Job is only sticking around for your benefits. But because Job stuck to his integrity, I don't care how much I have to suffer. I know I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not going to admit that I did anything wrong just to get the benefits. No, I did nothing wrong. Something else must be the reason for my suffering. It shows that Job was sticking around not just to get God's benefits, but simply because he loved God. Now, he wrestled with God. Okay. He, he, he crossed the line. He's like, I ain't doing anything wrong, so God must be doing something wrong. <laughs> and we'll see that in a, in a couple chapters. Right? Job, Job goes so far as to say, I want to call God to court. So he can answer me <laughs> on why he is punishing me. Because I know I didn't do anything wrong, so he must be doing something wrong. Job lost his mind. <laughs> but the question must be answered. Why is Job serving God? 
And the answer is given time and time again throughout the book. Job's friends tried to convince Job that he had sinned and that he only needed to repent and God would restore him. But instead, Job clung to his integrity. He insisted that he had done nothing to deserve his suffering. By not taking the easy way out and just confessing that, uh, um, that he had done something wrong so that he would be restored... He was proving that he loved God for himself and not for the benefits that he received. Now, what I want to do is close. I want to bring this to a close here. As I said, I'm just laying the foundation with these two chapters on, on what's going on. We'll pick back up and look at um, Job's suffering, right? Um, all of the things that he lost. Um, we'll look at Job's wife. As I say, you got to be careful, you know, uh, who you make your spouse, right? Because Satan says that if you take all of his possessions, he'll curse you to your face. And then Job's wife, Mrs. Job, you know, she, she got tired of, of all of the suffering. And, and she comes to Job and says, Job, why, why don't you just curse God and die? <laughs> right? Come on, give me some benefit. At least me, let me go marry somebody else. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? So, it, but notice, how is she repeating the words of the enemy? If you take his stuff, he'll curse you to his face, to your face. And his wife says, well, why don't you just curse God and die? His wife is being used by the devil to attack him. You have to be careful who you make your friends because Job's friends come along and, and they just keep berating him. You had to do something wrong. As a matter of fact, Job. A spirit appeared to me and told me you did something wrong. Chapter four. <laughs> the spirit was the enemy. Got to watch who you <laughs> who your friends are. So we're going to pick back up and start looking at, at Job's suffering and 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 all of the things that he has experienced and related to how we respond when we suffer. But let me give an application question here. I want to close with this application because verse nine of Job chapter 1 is really the theme of the whole book. Why does Job serve God? Um, Satan here is striking at the heart of Job's motivation. Was Job motivated by a deep devotion to God himself, or was Job motivated by the benefits he received from God? Now, I think that um, this is something that we all need to ask ourselves. Do I serve God for nothing? Or, let me turn around and ask you, why do you serve God? Why do you serve God? You, 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 you. <laughs> why, why do I serve God? It's easy for us to look at this story and, and, and see the example of Job but if we only look at Job, we will miss the whole point of the story. The point of the story is for us to see ourselves in the story so that we can find out our motivation. Why do we serve God? Or ask yourself, do I serve God out of a deep devotion and love for him or 
do I serve God for the benefits that I receive? Now, don't allow yourself to answer that question too quickly, right? Because, you know, we, we, we all are good at uh, uh, churchianity, <laughs> right? And, and we don't like to allow ourselves to experience the uncomfortableness of answering tough questions, right? We know the right answer. Mm, I serve God because I love him. Don't 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 answer the question too quickly. Do you serve God only out of a deep love for him because of what he has done for you? Or do you serve God only for the benefits that you receive from him on a day to day basis? Now, um, again, our tendency is to, you know, skip the question. I know the right answer. You know, it's 12.22. Pastor, your time is running out. We got to get to this restaurant, right? So let's move on. But let's take a moment to really think about that. What motivates us? Why do we read the Bible, come to church? Why do we pray? Why do we give? <laughs> Are we doing all of these things simply because we love God for sending his son to die on the cross on our behalf? Or are we doing these things because we feel we are somehow carrying God's favor to benefit us in some way? And if the truth be told, if you are like me, oftentimes we are not serving God for nothing. We're serving God because of the benefits that we receive. How often do we go extended times without reading the word? Okay. So how, how often do you, you read this? Okay, now, now remember uh, when we were in James, I cited some statistics, and they say that m most Christians only read their Bible, what I think it was, uh, I think it was 12 times a year. Okay, 12 times a year. How often do we go extended times without reading God's word only to pick it up for guidance in times of need? Don't read the word. Only read it when we come to church on Sunday. <laughs> right. And then your Bible, when you get it, it like, look like this. Because it's been sitting in the back window in your car in the sun. <laughs> so, so, so. <laughs> how, how often do we go extended times without picking up God's word, but when I'm sick, where's Isaiah? <laughs> By his stripes, we, we are healed. If I, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I would be made well. And so we so we, we flipping through the Bible, looking for passages on healing, and we're, we're reading it and, and praying those scriptures over ourselves. But, but isn't that only serving God for something? We, we go extended times 
not picking up God's word, but, but then there's conflict in our marriage or on the job. And, and so we're picking up, well, what does the Bible say? How, how can I have a godly husband? How can I have a godly wife? And how can I even make my children <laughs> listen? <laughs> what the Bible say about, you know, not cussing out your enemies? <laughs> I got to find that in here. <laughs> Isn't that only serving God for something? That I, 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 I'm not picking up his word because, as, 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 as Moses wrote and as Jesus said, that man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I'm not picking it up simply every day because I just want to hear him talking to me. I only pick it up when I want something from him, then I put it down, and I pick it up the next time I need something. That's only serving God for something. How often do we read the Bible not to find the promises of God for me, but just to learn more about him? Do I read through the entire Bible or just certain topics? So, I mean, do, do, we, do we read through the Psalms a lot? Why we don't ever read through Leviticus? We read all of the passages, Ephesians chapter 1. He's blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Why we don't read the book of Jude? First Chronicles, Second Chronicles. Because we're looking for something. We're picking the passages that benefit us. Listen, I asked this question in South Group. Why is it that if we're limited in our time <laughs> to spend with God, right? Like, oh, I don't read the Bible. I don't do all this because I, I, I was just very short on time. I only have 10 minutes in the morning after I get ready and stuff. Well, first of all, you can get up earlier. <laughs> right? You know, you, you, you you can get in the bed earlier and get up earlier to spend time with God, but let, 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 let's go with it. I only got 10 minutes to spend time with God. Do you pray in those 10 minutes? Do you read the Bible with those 10 minutes? Or do you just do praise and worship? Now, most of us are going to try to read the Bible, right, because there's a, there's a benefit to me. I'm, I'm learning something. Or we're going to pray asking God for something. But praise and worship is about God. Why don't we spend, if we only have a couple minutes to give God in the whole 24 hours that he gave us, why don't we just spend time giving him something and get nothing in return for ourselves? I asked this question before, right? You say, well, it's the same thing. Well, why, why, why is it that we, we come to church we know pastors start preaching around 11.30, so we get at 11.25, why do we? Why do we make sure we get here at that time? It's because we want to hear the word. That means we are getting something from church. But praise and worship is about God, what he gets out of it. I don't have to come here for all of that. I can do that at home by myself. You're cutting out the part that's only about God. And only coming to get the part that's about you. That's serving God for something.
How often are our prayer lives non-existent other than saying your grace? <laughs> Wake up in the morning, you just get up and get ready for work. Don't talk to the Lord. Don't talk to the Lord throughout the day. Don't talk to the Lord before you go to sleep. When you sit down to eat, oh, thank you, Lord, for this food. Non-existent prayer life except for saying your grace. How often are our prayer lives non-existent until we have a serious need? Then you're in prayer service. <laughs> you're praying. You're talking to you even fasting. Like, Lord, I'm going to turn down my plate so I can hear from you clearly. When you pray, do you simply run through a list of things that you need and then move on? Or do you pray and then take the time to just sit quietly in his presence to hear him speak back? No, we don't have time for all of that. I just got to get it in. Boom, 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 boom. Thank you, Lord. And move on by my business. That's serving God for something. When God chooses not to answer your prayers when he says no do you find yourself murmuring and complaining i'm praying all of this time i've been going to church and reading the bible i even be i've been i didn't increase my giving too and you ain't even going to answer my prayers i remember going to this cookout years ago and and there was a guy that was there. And, I mean, I don't, I don't fault him um, because he, he was wasted, <laughs> right? So he, you know, it's probably not a good idea to talk to people while they drunk. But, you know, for some reason, you know, whenever I go to cookouts and people find out I'm pastors, they want to talk to me, whether they're sober or not. Right? And so, so I'm talking to this guy, and, um, and, I mean, we standing here having a conversation. He's not talking to me. He's talking to God. F you. I mean, all kinds. He's talking to God. He's angry at God. Angry at God. Because his brother was hit and killed by a drunk driver. And, 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 and he used to believe in God. And God had the power to save his brother, but he did not. So I hate God. I'm angry at God. That's serving God for something. If, if, if you hate God, you don't talk to God, you murmur and complain, you don't want to keep giving, keep praying, keep reading the Bible, keep going to church, keep doing all of the stuff that you do because God doesn't give you what you want. That's serving God only for his benefits and not for him. Because God's plan is perfect and he is sovereign, and he is working out his plan for the world. And sometimes that includes giving us benefits now, and sometimes that includes taking our loved ones. And Job said, should we only take the benefits from God and not also the bad? How much time do you spend at home worshiping God, or is praise and worship time on Sunday, the extent of your worship time with the Lord each week. You do praise and worship at home every day, or is it only in church? In times of trial, do you say or think things such as, everything will be okay, I know God has something better in store for me. 
that sentence itself is serving God for something. That the only reason I'm staying on board, God, through this <laughs> is because I know you have something better for me. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't have something better for you? What, 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 if, what if this is the end? <laughs> and, and God is going to let you suffer or struggle the rest of your life. Will you still love him? Will you still serve him? Now, all of these questions are uncomfortable. But I think it goes to the heart of the whole purpose of the book of Job. Why do we serve God? Satan is under the impression that the only reason we serve God is because of the benefits that we get out of it. And if we don't get any benefits, we'll be gone. Now, if Satan is talking about, be very careful with this. The truth is, Satan is describing how most of our marriages are. That that if I'm getting a benefit, as long as you cooking and and cleaning and washing the car and and doing and paying the bills, and as long as you're doing all of this stuff, we good. You mess that money up. You don't have the food on the table when I get home from a long day work. (laughs) Right. We, We having problems. And what we don't see is that the same way we treat each other (laughs) is oftentimes how we treat God. We oftentimes serve our spouse for something, what I'm getting in return. You don't give me me something in return, it's on to the next one. And oftentimes, that's how we treat God. We dress it up to sound nice and spiritual. Oh, I'm just struggling right now. You know? But the truth is, the reason that we're struggling is because God has not given us what we want. Now, this, sh- this really strikes at the heart of the book of Job. Um, But this is the question that each and every single one of us are answering every single day. Why do I serve God? And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I'm only serving God for something. Look, sometimes, look, I I got people calling me. I got visitations. You know, I got all, I got to fight with people on on social media. (laughs) Right? And and, and, and sometimes the day can get away from you, and, I'm, and I haven't spent time in the Word all day, but I'm like, oh, shoot, I got I to put my sermon together. And so, so I'm, I'm here, I'm digging through, I'm studying, I'm looking at it in the Greek text, I'm looking at this, I'm going through all these commentaries, I'm doing all of this stuff, but I have not prayed. I'm doing a job. Because y'all not going to want to come here on Sunday and hear, I ain't got no sermon because I was spending time praying with God all day. They can be like, well, we can go somewhere else for all this. <laughs> right? We we not gonna y'all not gonna come here and be like, okay, well, well let's just do praise and worship and go home because Pastor ain't got no sermon. 
Now, during football season, that might work for some of us, but, you know. <laughs> right, but I see some people looking at the clock like, hmm, you already know. You got you got 23 minutes before this game starts. You better hurry up, Pastor. <laughs> but... But we're answering this question every single day, not with our lips, but with our actions. The truth is, for all of us, God should never have to do another thing for us in order for us to love him. Because he gave us the ultimate gift when he sent his son to die on the cross for us. When Jesus got on the cross and, 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 and bled and suffered and died for us, that's the ultimate gift. If God doesn't give me a promotion, if God doesn't give me a new car, if God doesn't give me everything I pray for, if God doesn't fix my marriage, he doesn't get my coworkers off my back, if he doesn't, you know, f- get my supervisor fired so I can have peace. <laughs> if he doesn't do any of those things. I should still love and serve him out of a deep devotion only because of the cross. And if he gives me anything, that's just extra. (laughs) Now, let me let me answer one question before I stop. Right. Um, Because uh, someone I'm um, a couple of you actually um, um, asked me. So are you saying that we shouldn't pray for stuff when we need things? <laughs> no, that's not what I'm saying. Right. Uh, the Bible is, is consistent in what it says about us asking God for things, right? Jesus says that we are supposed to ask and seek and knock. Ask and seek and knock, right? Um, even in, the, um, um, in Matthew chapters uh, 5 through 7, right? Jesus tells us that we're supposed to be to pray, right? He says, our, chapter 6, our Father knows what you need before you ask, okay? But still ask, <laughs> right? This is his point, okay? But if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. Your Father knows what you need, right? I know you're asking. He knows exactly what you need. Don't focus on what you need. Focus on what he wants, and he'll take care of what you need. So I'm not saying don't pray. That's not my point. My point is is that when you pray, if God says no, how do you respond? That is what proves why you're serving God. He knows you have needs. But what if he says no? Or what if he says wait, right? I think wait is often worse than saying no. Look, just tell me no. I can, you know, I can do my emotions. You know what? Boom. He said no. Let's move on. <laughs> but when God says wait, I'm very impatient. You know, I I rather you tell me no so I can just move on. <laughs> but how do we respond? when we don't get what we want. So, yes, we should ask, we should pray, we should keep on asking, Jesus says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, right? 
Because um, how do you know he used this, this parable of the woman who keeps nagging the judge, and just to get the woman to stop nagging him, he gives her what he, he wants? Right, so and I'm not saying, you know, nagging God really gets you what you want, but just do it. Look, God, you know, I really had these needs. <laughs> but if he says no, you have to learn how to be satisfied only in him and not just the benefits that come along with a relationship with him. That's how you know why you're serving God. Now, I'm ending this net here. As I said, what we're going to do is uh, pick up uh, with Job um, because Job suffers a lot. And what we'll see in um, through chapter 7 is Job starts to talk a lot about death, right? Um, so um, next week my, my topic is um, when, s- when death seems like my best option. Because <laughs> that, that's, that's Job's point. Job is saying, I, 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 I'm suffering so bad. I'd just rather die than to go through all of this. Okay. Now, Job is not suicidal, right? He's begging God to take his life. Uh, but in the middle of this, Job is struggling. He's wondering why he's going through all of these things. And then his, his, his friends show up, right, or as Job calls them, his three worthless counselors. And his friends do exactly what good Christians always do. Instead of comforting him, you're like, yeah, you know you're doing stuff wrong. <laughs> why do we do that to people? Why do, why do we not show empathy, right? We just come and just, like, stick our finger in their eye when they're going through something. <laughs> okay. So we're going to start looking at this, this interplay between Job and his friends, and, and we're going to look at, at the life of Job and how he suffers and how he wrestles. This is why I'll, 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 this series is called Suffering by Faith, What we will see is that Job is suffering. He's wrestling with God. He's complaining about God, and yet God never condemns him for being upset with him. It's okay to be upset with God. It's okay to wrestle with God. God's point is that Job, even in his wrestling, was faithful because he never turned his back on God. And that's the most important thing. And we'll see that. Uh, as we look at pick this up next week. Father, we thank you today for allowing us this opportunity to look at the life of Job. Lord, every single one of us will be called upon to suffer in some way. Some of us will be called to uh, suffer financially. Some of us will be called to suffer in our health. Uh, some will be called to suffer in our relationships, and others will be called to suffer in ways Um, the rest of us will not even know or could even fathom. And yet we are assured that you, first, that you love us, and second, that you are sovereign and in control of every single thing. Satan had to come and get permission for the things that he did to Job. So, one, you are in control, and number two, For some reason, you see our pain and suffering as a good gift to sanctify us and draw us closer to you. I pray, God, that you would help us to learn to see our circumstances the same way that you see 
our circumstances and that we would never allow our circumstances to pull us away from you. But as we wrestle with you and we struggle with the things that we go through, that we would continue to walk by faith just like Job did. Even when we fail and cross the line like Job did, help us to never walk away from you. Because you will never leave us nor forsake us. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to examine our own lives, even with this message today of why do we serve you? Because the truth be told, each and every one of us, oftentimes, all we can focus on is our pressing needs and we forget about you. And we oftentimes manipulate you to get what we want. Lord, I pray that you will forgive us for these things, but you know uh, what we stand in need of before we ask. And so I pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to trust you and to rest in you and to love you simply for who you are and not for what you can provide for us, knowing that you are still a good provider and you will give us most times what we need, even when you don't give us what we want. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to look at the life of Job, but help us to see ourselves and to see that in all of our trials, just like Job, you are trying to purify us to understand more fully your deep wisdom and also to fully understand your deep providence of how you have designed and provide for this world. But help us to not get bogged down with an image of this world, thinking that you have to bless us or curse us or benefit us in this life, but help us to see that a day is coming when you will make everything right. And on that day, we will understand what Paul meant in Romans chapter 8, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that we shall receive. We thank you now for all these things, even though we don't understand all these things. We thank you in the precious name of Jesus. We pray. Amen.